1: And three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Extra, in trouble again. My Penny, at it again. Read about it. Extra, please
0: grab young fan. Extra,
1: extra. A quick note before we start this episode of Radio Motherboard: Adrian Jeffries and I, Jason Kebler, recorded a podcast all about artificial intelligence that was supposed to be for our Artificial Intelligence Week, which was supposed to be next week, but. We're pushing back the Artificial Intelligence Week, and so we're pushing back the podcast. We're going to skip this week entirely, but uh, there's been some crazy tech news this week. So Lorenzo and I are going to talk about the FBI compelling Apple to help it hack into an encrypted iPhone. Um, It's just going to be me and Lorenzo talking for a few minutes. So if you want something a little more produced, you should leave now. If you want to stick with us, thank you very much. And we will start the show in a second. That completely insane music was by Rotofuel on SoundCloud. I thought that Street Fighter 2-esque music set up the Apple vs. FBI battle quite nicely. Hi, I'm Jason Kebler, and I've got
0: Lorenzo Franceschi Bicirri,
1: and we are going to talk about the FBI compelling Apple to hack into the encrypted iPhone of the San Bernard Bernardi Bernardino San Bernardino shooter uh, from earlier last year. Um, Lorenzo, what is going on here? Just kind of broadly speaking.
0: So essentially, broadly speaking, um, just to. Start with the facts. The FBI is investigating uh, whether the San Bernardino shooter, you know, had planned this with somebody else or had any communication with other people, and uh, so they're going through a bunch of evidence. Um, and uh, in their investigation, they uh, came across an iPhone 5C that um, the shooter Farouk um, owned, or actually, he was like uh, he was using it, but the, his employer owned it point is uh, the the, the iPhone is locked and encrypted and the FBI can't access the data on it. So what they are trying to do right now is they are trying to basically force Apple to write some special software to get around some restrictions that would allow the FBI to hack into the phone.
1: Right. And so... The encryption debate has been going on. We've talked about it a few times on this podcast before, but it's been going on for really 10, 20 years. I actually read a paper today from 1995 that I'll talk about in a minute, and it could have been written yesterday um, as a result of this latest action. But basically, the FBI very much wants Apple and other tech um, companies to install Backdoors or other methods of getting into encrypted communications and encrypted devices. And what FBI is asking Apple to do in this case is to re- remove a feature on the iPhone that uh, basically erases the encryption key if you fail to get into the phone within 10 tries. So like when you have your passcode and you open up your phone, it says, you know, you enter probably your birthday, please change it if it's your birthday, um, to get into the phone. And if you mess that up 10 times in a row, the device deletes the encryption key and everything on it is lost forever. Um, so the FBI doesn't want that to happen, obviously. So it wants Apple to write software that would remove that restric- restriction. And it would also remove a restriction that makes uh, there be a time delay after you failed for a few times. So, like, if you fail once or twice, there's no delay. But if you fail five or six times, there's a delay of, at first, a few minutes, and then after a while, it's a few hours, right?
0: Yeah, the delays, uh, the delays go from, like, one minute to 15 minutes and uh, up to an hour uh, with the ninth attempt. So, th- this is, these are all, like, basically, the, point, the main point is that these are all restrictions to avoid um, or to prevent... Uh, Anyone from like just randomly guessing all the possible passcodes until they get it right.
1: Right. And so the FBI is not asking Apple to give it the encryption key. Instead, they're asking them to remove these uh, restrictions, which will allow it to brute force hack its way in. So it's going to go 0000, 0001, 0002, and so on and so forth until it gets in, um, which with... Uh, advanced like a supercomputer or even just a script you can do quite quickly um, let's break in really quickly just to discuss how, how long it would take to brute force this because I think you have that on there as well um, the standard default on earlier versions of iOS were four numbers um, and if you have a four number pin you could, the FBI could hack this in 13 minutes which is not very long uh, with a six-digit PIN, it would take twenty-two hours, and with six-letter password, which could include both letters and numbers, it would take three hundred years.
0: Yeah, and that's because even if um, let's just let's assume that Apple um, complies with the order, even in that case, there's still one uh, one limit that will that can't just can't go away because it's it's enforced at the hardware level of the iPhone, and this is a With this limit, you can only guess one password every 80 milliseconds. So essentially, you can only just do around 10, 12 guesses per second. That sounds like still like a lot, but the password cracking software, which is what the FBI essentially would use, allows for like, you know, thousands of guesses per second. So 10 guesses per per second is really not that much.
1: Right. And so you wrote a great story, which we'll talk about in a second, but... um what what are the main problems with this order like why is everyone freaking out over this
0: yeah this order is a big is a big deal because i think it 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 shows um that this it's basically the next step in the fbi's uh, fight against apple in particular until now they were like you know there were a lot of complaints they were going on uh, congressional hearings and talking about how this was not, you know, encryption is a problem, or going dark but this is like a, an effective practical proposal to get around encryption in this case which according to a lot of experts could actually extend to other not just other cases but other more modern phones um, produced by Apple. So that's the first point that it's important to remember and um, why is everyone freaking out is also because This is not, this wouldn't just be what Apple used to do before, which was, like, get uh, phones and um, extract the data for the FBI, um, which was something that they did uh, multiple times. Uh, This would actually mean for Apple to write custom software. So basically, Apple engineers would have to, you know, for a while, work for the FBI effectively and create um, a program just for the FBI that... um, that the FBI could use um, in this case. And again, it's it's pretty clear from at the experts we talked to that um, this, that software could easily be adapted in other cases.
1: Right. And so I actually just spoke to a couple First Amendment lawyers, and Apple said it's going to fight this, but uh, we're kind of wondering like how it's going to fight it, on what grounds. And I'm writing a story now, hopefully it'll be up by the time this podcast is live, about the First Amendment issues raised by this. And interestingly, back in 2000, um, an appeals court in the Ninth Circuit, which I believe is California, um, I I could be wrong here, but I think it is, um, ruled that encrypted software encryption, encryption software, like the actual code for encryption, is protected speech or is protected by the First Amendment. And so software is speech and that means the FBI is essentially asking Apple to create speech for it and when the government compels speech unless it's you know there's a strong first amendment protection there Um, we're not sure how it'll play out in court but Apple at least has the argument that uh, the government can't compel it to create speech and um, we haven't talked about this yet either but um, the FBI is asking Apple to write software for it and then sign the software, which means it would use it would basically give it an Apple seal of approval um, to to run on any iPhone or to run on this iPhone specifically, um, which is something that the FBI can't do itself. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how that works actually?
0: Yeah, that's actually probably the key um, in this case um because until until recently i think with ios 8 or ios 9 um I've, actually until ios 9 yes okay let's let's really, let's start again um yes that's actually that's actually the key of this case i think because until recently until ios 9 um it was possible for like uh, you know investigators or forensic experts to sort of uh, to use uh, tools uh, software tools to analyze locked iPhones, and without the, these tools being approved by, by Apple. With iOS 9, Apple um, implemented some security features that require all software um, running on the the, the, uh, the iPhone to be signed by Apple's key, which means, as you said, basically get an approval from Apple so the fbi essentially unless they steal apple's master developer key which is you know unlikely and also like completely out of the question here because that would be illegal um or unless they compel apple to give it the key which is also pretty unlikely and another like order of magnitude of in terms of you know being um contentious uh really needs apple to collaborate at least in creating the software?
1: So there have actually been cases like this before where the government has tried to compel a company to do something. Um, some of the highest profile ones involve tobacco companies and the warning labels on cigarette cartons. And the Surgeon General is basically able to compel tobacco companies to include the official warnings, but it can't compel them to include other messages on the, on the tobacco labeling. Um, and there's another case in the early 2000s where the FBI asked OnStar or a company similar to uh, OnStar—the actual company is um, classified at the uh, moment—but most people believe it to be OnStar—to basically turn their system into a spying system. And the courts ruled that that was compelled speech because it fundamentally interfered with the product of OnStar. Um, And basically what the FBI is proposing here would fundamentally undermine— um, Apple's security system, which is designed to keep people out. So Apple has a pretty strong argument that this would basically undermine what their software is designed to do, and their software is part of the speech that they've basically they've designed it to do this, and the government is asking them to not do what it's designed to do, which is uh, quite... It's quite a stretch, I suppose.
0: Um. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it would be interesting to see, as you said, what, what Apple decides to argue and what, how they decide to fight this. I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that they're going to appeal. They haven't yet at this point, um, but they probably will. They're just just—they're probably just, you know, their lawyers are probably working very hard right now to figure out what's the best way to go about this. Um, because, you know, like it will be, uh, eventually it will be, Balance, you know, the judge will have to balance the as you as you explain the First Amendment protections and and arguments with um, the government's argument, which is we have a warrant, uh, it's a valid warrant, and it's an investigation, and we need the data. Um, so it will it will be very interesting to see how this play uh, plays out. It's really hard to predict. Apple has so far sort of won in court. Um, they haven't really gotten any sort of um, ruling. Uh, like a de- definitive ruling in their favor, but they have been able to slow, at least, slow down um, the U.S. government. There was a similar case a few months ago. The U.S. government didn't make the same request, but it basically, and also this was different because it was an older phone. Uh, but the the U.S. government basically did um, ask Apple to uh, help them unlock this uh, phone, and Apple refused. Um, but they sort of like they um, they were able to prevail, at least momentarily in that in that case. Right.
1: So can you tell us um, about Apple's Secure Enclave, which is a chip that basically holds down Apple Pay and Touch ID and um, the encryption key and a few other things? It's an actual separate processor that's on the iPhone 5S, 6, and 6S, right?
0: Yes. So, the, the, yeah, the Secure Enclave is uh, basically a separate computer, and... And yesterday, when um, news of the the order were being discussed by experts, initially people were like, well, this is not going to apply to newer phones because the security enclave uh, should uh, enforce the limits that the FBI is trying to remove um, in a way that can't be removed even by Apple. That was the, inter- the initial interpretation even of people like um, Dan Guido, who is a security expert, um, who has done a lot of work in terms of consulting uh clients on iOS security, a very well-respected expert. And um, after some testing and after more studying, actually turned out that the security in cloud does not enforce these these limits in a a way that can't be bypassed. So even though it does add a little bit of um, more trouble for the FBI if they really wanted to do the same with a newer iPhone, uh, it's technically possible to uh, essentially do the same attack uh, on newer iPhones, and um, all all the FBI or you know would have to ask Apple to do is create custom software for both the regular iPhone processor and computer and the security club.
1: Right. So I spoke to two uh, lawyers today. One is Michael Frumkin, who is a professor at the University of Miami, and he actually wrote that paper I was mentioning earlier back in 1995 about the legality of asking. Uh, asking companies to provide the government with um, escrow keys, with keys that could unlock, you know, it's basically a backdoor. So I asked him about this and he said that the FBI has chosen a really good case for it because A, it was a heinous crime, B, it it involves terrorism and C, the person whose phone they're trying to get into is dead, so he can't Defend himself. He can't defend his First Amendment rights. And fourth, um, the phone actually belonged to his employer, and the FBI has permission from the employer to get into it. So he basically said that Apple is going to be fighting on its own First Amendment rights, not on the First Amendment rights of this dead terrorist, um, which is important, he believes, and probably is important, at least in the court of public perception. Um, I think. Almost every single technologist, journalist, uh, security researcher said this is very, very, very bad. But, um, you know, I don't think he should be looked at as a paragon of what's right and wrong. But say, for instance, Donald Trump said, of course, Apple should comply. And... You know, some other president. you have Republican to deal with exactly what's going on in the world today. And that's San Bernardino. It's staggering to find out the FBI still cannot open that terrorist's phone because Apple made something. that was uh, encryption, uh, it has encryption and we cannot open it. Apple's been ordered by the courts to do so. They are fighting back saying we cannot. What would President Donald Trump do about this? I agree 100 percent with the courts. We should in that case, we should open it up. I think security overall, we have to open it up and we have to use our heads. We have to use common sense. Somebody the other day called me a common sense conservative. But to think that Apple won't allow us to get into her cell phone, who do they think they are? No, we have to open it up. Well, they, you know, Apple says that if, if they had a workaround or let the government in, that would be good for hackers on everybody's phones. Uh, Apple. This is one case, and this is a case that certainly we should be able to get into the phone, and we should find out what happened, so, why it happened. I mean, do, you and, uh, like, do you think that this is Maybe there's other people involved. Do you think this is an important precedent, control. like legally speaking?
0: Yeah, the, I think, as you said, I think the FBI definitely, if they did choose this case on purpose to make a point, they make it. They made a good choice, and uh, you could just see it in the reactions from um, candidates and even D.C., some D.C. insiders. Um, I think it's it could definitely set a precedent. Uh, I mean, this is what a lot of uh, legal experts assume. Um, you know, setting precedent is not too... I mean, this wouldn't necessarily mean that the next judge will have to do the same because it's a local court, it's not the Supreme Court, but it would still, you know, it would still be the first case of its kind. And it would basically be um, a slippery slope, if you will, or um, a taller mountain to climb for, for Apple every, you know, the next time they receive a similar
1: order. Right. And then the other lawyer I talked to is Nate Cardozo of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, said that this could very well backfire on the federal government because even if they do get into this particular iPhone and even if they're able to get into other iPhones, he said that the iPhone 7... Having having no like in, internal knowledge of Apple at all, saying the iPhone seven will probably be completely impossible to get into. Like Apple will basically throw away the key entirely. Like they won't even be able to alter the firmware after it um, has been has been um, released. So he said, if I were Apple, I would be doing everything in my power to ensure compliance with the next one of these on the iPhone seven would be impossible. If I'm Apple, I'm designing iPhone 7, so none of the techniques the government is contemplating would work against it. Um, And I think that's probably a safe bet because Apple has really um, doubled down on privacy ever since the Edward Snowden um, revelations, the initial ones. And Apple has really built its brand on this idea of privacy. And a lot of people have said, well, that's the only reason Apple cares about this because it cares about its bottom line. But that's... perfectly reasonable reason to not want to comply with the government. Um, I think people trust Apple because they have been one of the very few super large companies to enable default encryption to, um, you know, lock down almost all of its, everything on the iPhone, like iMessage is also encrypted and one of the better uh, methods of communicating if you're interested in um, secure communications as is FaceTime. So I think... I think Apple is probably looking for another solution moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's the that's also um, Cardozo's point is uh, the same that uh risk security researchers that I spoke to made yesterday. Uh essentially, w- w- you know, yesterday when um Apple engineers woke up and um, and heard about the news, they probably figured out okay, we need to do something about this or we probably should start thinking about Uh, how to prevent this from happening the next time. Uh, Again, we don't have any, like, inside knowledge, but both Guido and Jonathan Sidziarski, should we check out the...
1: That's (laughs) close. (laughs)
0: Uh, ...was another security researcher who's done a lot of work in forensics for the iPhone. Um, They both agree that basically this means that Apple from now on will have to assume that they can become their own adversary to use, like, a security... Um, lingo, uh, but what that means is that from now on, basically Apple will have to assume that they might be forced to hack themselves, and they'll have to get ready for that. What, whether that's possible, though, it will have, remain to be seen. I think that um, you could, I mean there are definitely like technical uh, ways that they could do it, but you also have to think that if they lock themselves out, um, they will lose some capabilities, like to push uh, updates or um improvements to the iPhone.
1: Yeah, I mean it seems like it's going to be a give and take like if they do lock this down on hardware on the hardware side for the iPhone 7 and there's some sort of flaw that is a major major risk cuz they can't patch it. Like that's what it would mean I would assume.
0: Yeah, or I, one one of the theories that I heard was that they could um basically force the user to input the passcode when there's a security update. So in that case, um, the security update would never be pushed and would never be installed unless the user agrees to it.
1: Right, which also uh, raises some other security issues, such as people are pretty bad about updating their phones often, uh, which we see on the Android side. But I guess we also see it on iPhone. I don't know, that's a whole other... Bucket, <laughs> a whole nother barrel of worms. Is that a statement? Bucket of worms. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm losing my uh, bucket of
0: snakes.
1: Bucket so of snakes. snakes. Yeah, something yeah, like okay. that. So um, yes. Anyways, this is probably the biggest uh, tech politics story. Someone someone said of the last ten years. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily that big, but it's certainly the biggest tech news story of this year so far at least when it comes to tech policy. Um, And it certainly will continue to be a huge story. So um, that's why we decided to talk about it today. Um, As I said, this is not a normal episode of our podcast. So um, please excuse uh, the kind of roughness of it and excuse uh, if there's any sounds in the background. We're recording in like a tiny box right now. So hopefully you learned something. And if you do like the podcast, um, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, and please tell your friends. We're trying to grow the show. Uh, we'll be back with a more produced and polished episode next week. And in a few weeks, we'll have the artificial intelligence story that we were supposed to have today. Do you have any last thoughts, Lorenzo? Are we good?
0: I think, I think we're good.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye.